gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space this is our bonus journey more than the bonus episode we have been on a journey rediscovering and revisiting red dwarf way back from series one all the way through to the latest uh outing promised land and we're now in the final throws we're now looking at series 12 and the promised land uh, and as usual i'm scott weatherly your regular host and i'm joined by julian darius julian how are you doing I'm uh, surviving another day in the dystopia parallel universe that we seem to be inhabiting. How are you, Scott? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm I'm sort of, um, you know, I'm I'm gassing up the the Jeep out the back. I'm making sure I've got full rations in case they ask for full (laughs) Mad Max at some point in the future. (laughs) It is. It's crazy times when we're recording this. Um, So... I think you know we, we off air. We've had a good discussion about basically <laughs> how how crazy the world is at the moment, um, and so we're going to be jumping into space now and well into the future to discuss how crazy uh, Red Dwarf uh, is. Um, as I say, we're going to be talking series twelve. This is obviously a Dave UK TV series, and then um, Promised Land, um, the latest, and possibly. You know, touch wood, we'll see what happens and we'll talk about it. last uh, entry in the Red Dwarf saga um, and in addition to that we're going to be listing out our favourite episodes from each uh, each series um, but getting to series 12 so J- Julian, what were your thoughts on 12, having gone through sort of the, a couple of series now of, of the Dave years yeah, I mean I had seen I guess I had seen 10 was the last I had seen. So 11 and 12 were new to me and Promised Land was new to me. I thought 12 was a step down from 11. Um, And, you know, I'm always, I mean, it's, I'm glad to have it. I think it's good. It's certainly no, you know, Star Wars prequels or anything. You know, it's good stuff that I'm I'm glad is added to the canon. Um, But I thought it didn't have the sort of high notes for me that 11 did. Yeah, I you know this is we talked about previously about them sort of repeating themselves a little bit, um, and I definitely feel it in this series. Uh, in in series twelve, there's a couple of episodes I'm like, oh, I feel like we're sort of revisiting themes and stuff that uh, you know could do with freshening up. Um, but yeah, and what about what about Promised Land as well? Because that's a you know a very different sort of just before we get to it later. But uh, initial thoughts on that as well. Uh, well, I, I kind of love Promised Land. Uh, I, I think Promised Land is, it's good. I don't think it's, you know, mind-blowingly good, but it's, it's good. And it's certainly better than Back to Earth. Um, I like Promised Land an awful lot, I have to say. Uh, I mean, for me, of the Dave stuff, uh, Series 11 is the best of the main series. And I'd put Series 11 uh, and Promised Land as, you know, just really solid, uh, 
you know, excellent uh, dwarf continuations. What about mm. you? Yeah, there's some there's some really really good stuff in Promised Land. I mean, I really enjoy it. Um, there's a couple of like bum notes. There's a couple of jokes that just that don't land. Um, but there's some really really good stuff in it that we'll get onto. Um, and I'm I'm glad that they do a couple of things. I'm really quite glad that they get round to, and I think technology's allowed them to do so. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I know um, what you're talking about too. Um. So yeah, but let's let's get back into it. So series twelve, uh, we start with uh, the first episode is is cured, um, and uh, once again the sort of the boys come across another um, outpost. Uh, this is from the, was it the United American Empire, um, and they sort of find basically another science outpost. There's lots of these dotted around in, in deep deep space. Uh, and it's someone who allegedly has found a cure for evil um, and has, uh, has got some test subjects there as well. So what were your thoughts on Cured? Uh, I think it's okay. I think it's solid, but not great. Um, I mean, it feels a little off to me. It feels, um, and again, I, I keep sometimes saying this, that that some of these seasons feel a little off, and I don't know why. Um, mm. In this case, I kind of felt like, um, like some of the humor was a little on the nose. Like the characters are still the characters, but they're almost like they feel like a little stripped down versions of the characters. Like they've just kind of been reduced to their essential component. And they say just right on the nose what you'd kind of expect them to say. Um, I do think it's great fun, like watching dinner with uh, Hitler and Vlad the Impaler and Stalin, you know, Um Sadly, we don't get uh, Murdoch in there, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's a nice little joke. Um, so, I mean, there are things in this, and I think overall the plot is kind of like a, you know, parody of a Star Trek episode. Um, you know, I do I do kind of hate, you know, like, oh, okay, another space station with a, with a weird scenario. Um, but more than that, I hate the sort of plot device of like, oh, a protoplanet is going to collide with this moon, you know? Why are we always arriving at stuff just as it's about to be destroyed by natural forces? You know. What about you? Yeah, no, I agree. This is—I I would say—it's a, a relatively weak episode for me. Sort of like you know, it's it's fine, but I, I agree with you saying it's an opening episode. It doesn't really grip me with the series. It's um, fine is all I can say about it. I mean, you know, the characters mm. play. Um, the villains, I mean, or the, not even the villains, the cured villains. You know, you got you got Hitler, Stalin, um, uh, Vlad the Impaler. And I forget who the woman is, but like you know, the, Messalina. Messalina, I could never pronounce mm-hmm. that. So you have these characters and stuff, and you think, oh, that's interesting. You know, this idea of curing evil and sort of stuff. And I like the sort of the re- um, the idea of sort of why they weren't allowed to. Um, do anything more with this you know why could they not turn this into something it was because well actually evil generates cash you know well without mm-hmm. evil there's no wars and without no wars there's no industrial military complex and stuff and so I kind of like that as the theme is like you know oh that's clearly what you know they're trying to get at but as you say it sort of feels so on the nose um, mm-hmm. that this, the moment they sort of explain that you're like oh so that's what you want to say. All right. So what is the rest of the episode going to say then? It's sort of, it, 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 yeah, it, it, I don't know. It's a really disjointed episode to me. I mean, the ending as well, I, I both like and, and 
I find annoying is the whole thing of, of you know, tr- who is the psychopath? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the declaration that Cat is a psychopath, I, I, it's funny when they play it off. Like he's like, you know, moving from the goods, you know, from the boys from the dwarf to the sort of the, the villain side and back and forth, back and forth. That's sort of entertaining for a bit, but it also throws into this point of like, well, you've always highlighted that, yeah, he's narcissistic and other things, but he's not human. He's right. a cat. <laughs> so he's not a psychopath. He's a cat. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's sort of, I don't know, it, it, it feels just sort of like um, that that joke feels a little one note. Um, and again, some of the things it's yeah. never going to be touched again. It doesn't make a difference. But <clears throat> yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's a little light on humor for, for me, this one. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, as we're talking about it, it occurs to me that it might make more sense kind of lumped into the category of seeing uh, Jesus as a character or the Kennedy assassination, where it's a little more sort of like uh, one of those episodes where you say, oh, you know, I can't believe they went there. Um, Mm. You know, I mean, Lister uh, jamming with Hitler, you know, it's not really funny. But then again, you know, like the Jesus stuff isn't that funny either. Um, you know, the JFK one is is more wobbly, I, I think, than that. But I do kind of have an affection for those episodes because they're so daring. And I think that this episode sort of wants to be one of those kind of outrageous Red Dwarf episodes. And yeah. it, it, it just, you know, like it, there are moments of that, but it doesn't really come off as as outrageous. No, I agree. And I think, like you say, they, they keep sort of, you know, and they, they lean into the whole Hitler thing a bit too much, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's sort of the idea of sort of like, you know, gentle Hitler and all this other stuff. It sort of, <clears throat> it plays well maybe for a scene or two. Um, but the whole thing of, like, you know, say leading up to them, you know, having a jamming session, playing guitars, like you say, it's it's not as funny as they think it is. Mm-hmm. Um or as shocking for that matter, because especially this, you know, what this was a couple, even this was a couple of years ago, but even by this time, like you've this, this notion is not new, you know, I mean, even, right. you know, up, to rec- up to recently, you've had like Jojo Rabbit and others that have sort of like done something similar. Um, yeah. There's that Netflix series, like look who's back. Uh, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And Jojo so, Rabbit, which I liked quite a bit. You know. mm. So, it, it, you know, it's not new. It's not particularly shocking. It, it's, you know, um, they could have gone all the way, you know, and they could have done more with it um, and, and maybe been a bit more risque and a bit shocking with it, but it feels that like they, they pull back. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it just feels sort of neutered a little bit. Um, well, that's funny because, uh, you know, um, Lister's fear is being castrated when they, they go through this sort of, you know, cat is drowning, you know, Rimmer's buried alive, you know, um, you know, Crichton's beheaded. I mean, that stuff should have worked better, too. I mean, I think that like cat drowning is is kind of interesting. But, you know, the the whole Rimmer being buried alive and then he has a Zippo with uh, a Hitler on it, um, you know, is again, I mean, it should work. It should be more entertaining than it is. Um, you know, I mean, we've had a lot of episodes where we see sort of like alternate versions of themselves or 
like Injustice, where we get like a mind probe or the Inquisitor. And those are supposed to like, I, I think we've agreed that like when those work, they work because they seem on for the characters. And it seems like it is both fun in the moment and revealing of those characters. And I think mm-hmm. here we get sort of like to see the characters worst fears and yeah, they're kind of like, yeah, blah, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. well, it's a bit like yeah, the, the visual of, um, Crichton waking up with his head on a, on a broom pole is, is quite a good visual. You know, I mean, the, the, like I said, this technology allows them that, you know, you see the face movie. It's clearly like Robert Llewellyn's face CG'd mm-hmm. onto, on things. And it looks pretty good. But again, like it's not the worst thing because what we've seen Crichton without his, his body or even you know or the body without a head numerous times before, right? So it's not it's not a huge that the stakes don't feel high. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, he's literally taken his own head off multiple times. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems odd that that I, I agree with you. Like it's a good visual, but. I thought, why, you know, why is this his worst fear? Yeah, it's it's just, you know, um, yeah, and the thing again, leaning into the cat drowning, what well, sort of, you know, yeah, cats don't like water, and um, yeah, and then obviously, like, you know, rumors is just being buried alive again. Well, actually, surely we've actually learned in a previous episode that that List is the one who's claustrophobic, so right. don't we better for him to be locked in a small place that could potentially be on fire? Like it, yeah. It, it, again, it's one of these things. It feels like it's been put together, but not given the sufficient thought that I think it it, it could do. Um, and in case, in fact, that some of the other episodes will have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know, it's almost like when, I think we find this with a lot of the series. Like some of the episodes have got quite intricate plots or quite intricate thoughts going into them, and then others, it's almost like yeah, one more pass at the script, and you could have probably done a lot better at this. Um, yeah, and I think you make an excellent point about the, you know, about the claustrophobia of Lister. That, you know, there's this kind of like, it's it's weird in Red Dwarf what sort of gets to be continuity and what doesn't, right? Because mm. I mean, there are plenty of episodes that just end on a joke that is essentially a cliffhanger that's never resolved, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so obviously certain things are just not considered serious continuity. You know, Lister's. Um, uh, fear of enclosed spaces is claustrophobia is just sort of never referenced again. And you called it at the time, but um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of strange how they love these callbacks, but then they don't want to kind of go too deep, even when it, there's no reason not to. Yeah. It's, 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 let's say, and the, the resolution to the episode of like, you know, well, cat's a psychopath, but, or at least he's registered as a psychopath on, on the machine. But like you know, he, he ends up sort of siding with the, with the Red Dwarf crew. It's fine. It's it's a nice little you know, it puts a little bow on it and stuff. But again, like if that had happened earlier in the episode, you know, it would have been more interesting. I think the episode would have been more interesting if, if at least the second half of the episode was Cat having to question this idea of whether or not he does have any feelings or cares for mm. the rest the, the rest of the crew. Right, kind Do of like mean, begin at the ending, you know, sort of, um, yeah. you know, I, it's that denouement that's always interesting. Yeah, like that's the bit that'll be more interesting to see. Like, you could make, put this, you know, I'm not the writer, but I'm pretty sure you could make lots of humor out of this notion of sort of whether or not Cat 
cares or has any you know emotional attachment to the rest of the crew in some way and explore this idea of his narcissism or his, you know, of him being a psychopath but it's not it's just used as a bit of a sort of like a bit of a bow to resolve the episode i, I don't know i just mm-hmm. find that a bit disappointing yeah i mean you're pointing at something that i think is is really deep and, and and hard to pinpoint about this episode which is you know like i like cat uh, you know, just to refresh readers' memories, you know, Cat is there's one psychopath that turns out to be Cat, which, which feels right to me. But then, you know, Cat goes over to the other side and he is given a gun. He's going to kill his Red Dwarf comrades and he just guns down, just shoots the villain at close range. And he's like, all right, you know, let's go eat. Um, and I And I like the joke that he just kills the villain and he's fine with it. But But as you say, like, there is this thing on Red Dwarf where the characters dislike each other. They seem, you know, every time that Rimmer is in trouble, trouble, Cat just says, oh, that's a bonus too, right? You know, what's the bad news? Um, you know, and, and there's this kind of constant joking about how happy they would be if other members of the crew around them died. Um, and now, you know, but that always seems to be kind of lighthearted. Um you don't know how true that really is, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, Cat would probably be okay if Rimmer died, but Cat goes along on the mission to save Rimmer. Um, and and clearly, you know, Lister and Crichton uh, care for Rimmer. Um, you know, but here Cat seems to have shown, no, I'm I'm quite serious, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and there is a kind of like disturbing aspect of that, this, that, you know, it, it, and I think it's more disturbing because it plays on that element of Red Dwarf, the the fact that the crew kind of don't like each other. Mm-hmm. And it just takes it, it goes over that line. And then there's no explore, exploration, like you say, of sort of like, oh, what does it mean that Cat seems to really be a sociopath? He really means this all the time when he jokes about the crew yeah. dying. Yeah, and that's it. And so it leaves this sort of like on, on that note. And it's sort of that, and that's it. And, uh, you know, it, again, it's sort of, and when, when we get to, uh, um, you know, when we get to promise land as well, um, mm-hmm. the, the idea, some of the ideas that are explored in that and the way that that sort of ends as well, um, you know, when, when we get to it, again, it sort of it explores a little bit of Cat. But again, he sort of, you know, at the end of that, he admits, no, no, Red Dwarf is home. And he's sort of thinking, right. okay, but... <laughs> That's great because I actually find that more satisfying. You know, the potential for him to go off and actually join his, you know, his his uh, kind, the kind that left him behind, all this other stuff. Um, and he's like, no, no, being trapped on this ship is actually where I'm supposed to be. And that's all a bit more satisfying. But again, it's sort of like, okay, well, you, you know, I mean, a couple of years before, but you've still already talked about the fact he's a psychopath, so. I don't know. There's just something there that I would I would be more satisfied if they explored it some more in some sort yeah. in some way. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's a good point. Yeah. So that's cured. Yeah. Any more thoughts on cured before we move on? No, not really. I mean, you know, I think, you know, I I will say this. You know, even the episodes that that feel lackluster, even the episodes that we criticize, um, if this were an episode of another series, we would say. It's filled with good ideas. You've got Hitler playing guitar with a main character. You've got one of the main characters uh, 
shown to be a sociopath and committing a cold-blooded murder, you know, at the end, this is an interesting show. You know, if this were a pilot of, uh, you know, some some weird sci-fi show on Netflix, for, for as, as lackluster as this episode is, we would probably say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a go. So, I mean, yeah. I, I do think sometimes we kind of, we sound more negative than we really are. Um, you know, I still think this is, you know, it's a satisfactory, but, you know, uh, it does feel kind of lackluster compared to the Red Wolf bar that's been set. But we're grading on a on a curve. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, 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 it's when it rests amongst sort of like the rest of the Red Dwarf episodes. I think that's sort of, you know, it's, it's got to be supposed to see in that context. Um, okay, so moving on. So we've got to, we now move to the second episode, which is Siliconia. Um, uh, and this is, uh, we come across, or the, the crew come across a ship populated by uh, a bunch of 4,000 series mechanoids that have broken their programming and liberated themselves uh, and basically become a freedom fighting force for all mechanoids across the galaxy. Um, and in order to learn about the oppression that they have put Crichton under, uh, these other droids, these are the mechs, um, transform or transfer, I should say, the consciousness of, of, of Lister, Rimmer, and the cat into uh, mechanoid bodies for them to experience what it's like. Um, yeah, so what, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I think this is a lot better um, mm-hmm. than that first episode. Um, I, I don't think it's quite a classic, but, you know, it. It's good. It's amusing. It's clever. It's fun. Um, you know, there are moments that feel, um, you know, really good. I, I love that Rimmer in the mechanoid body uh, is the one to sound the alarm and betray the others, you know, um, out of his sense of like he loves um, Space Fleet, right? He loves that sense of order and belonging and uh, kowtowing to his superiors. He just has been given new superiors to kowtow to. Um, you know, there's a lot that I, that I like here. I, I'm less charmed by them being in robot bodies. I, I guess it's kind of an inversion of Crichton becoming human. You know, we can't do that again, you know, so let's kind of invert the scenario. Um, and I like the twist that there are Mark II models that are, you know, enslaved by the Mark threes that, yeah. you know, I mean, it's good fun seeing the mechanoid liberation front dressed as black Panthers and all their, you know, liberation theology stuff but then you find out oh they have slaves too you know that's a nice twist but it's also like um you know it's also oddly conservative right it's this kind of like yeah nobody's really any better uh sort of thing that i'm fine with it i'm fine with it it's okay it's clever it works but um yeah what are your thoughts no, I know what you mean. Um, it has. Uh, I I I do enjoy this episode. I think there's some really interesting mm-hmm. sort of thoughts, some interesting moments in it. And um, like you say, them being transferred. I like that Rim, like say, gives in. Um, yeah. <laughs> and as they start to lose their personality, he's the first one. And one of the great things of sort of again of Chris Barry sort of stepping up as an actor, sort of the fact that he actually falls into a, almost like a Crichton esque voice. Um, mm-hmm. When he's mopping, he's like. Actually, I'm I'm really, I'm I'm enjoying the calm of 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 this mopping. Like, I no longer have to worry about 
competing with people or the order of things. Like there's, he's almost like Zen. He's sort of like, you know, he just falls into that place. And the realization for him that actually giving in to this and becoming a mechanoid may be a good thing. Um, yeah. Again, I, I, I like that little bit of rimmer that, you know, for him, it might be a better place. Um, and the other two sort of like, you know, uh, Craig Charles and, and Danny John Jewell sort of like do some bits and pieces in it. But um, Chris Barry sort of like really works in that respect. Um, but again, I, I like this sort of the, the ideas that go with this and the idea of almost like the hypocrisy of it that, you know, yeah, we, we're liberating us because we're, you know, there should be no oppression apart from them, you know, of oh, their three thousands. And a lot, you know, when they, they list off the sort of like the, the difference between them and it's so minor. Like, you know, <laughs> right. It's so, it's, it's so, I like some of that stuff. That was really funny. Oh, um, I do too. That's the like kind of Voltaire thing, right? Like, yeah. you know, what, well, well, of course we can't let those people live. They believe in the wrong color of, uh, um, you know, of shirts or whatever. Um, going back to the cats in the first episode. But I like that it goes both ways. It's not that. It's, it's not so much that the sort of, you know, the 4,000s are oppressing the 3,000s and the 3,000s are fighting back. So, well, no, the 3,000s have almost accepted their place. That, well, someone's uh-huh. got to keep them. And, <laughs> you know, they're they're slightly taller than us, and they've got that wonderful matte finish, which I love that thing of sort of... Um, <laughs> and they've accepted their place. And, it, again, it takes sort of like, you know... Um, uh, you know, Lister and the cat, and to, to sort of go, well, that's really bizarre. Um, and, and you know, it's it's this sort of thing. Um, and I kind of like the fact it ends in a sort of a, a, a fight at the end of it. Like, you know, it comes, to, it, whatever it is, it always comes down to this sort of ag- aggressive sort of resolution, which is, um, again, it's, it's all it's all quite well done. Um, I quite I quite enjoy this episode. Um, you know, it's. Uh, it's funny to me, you know, I actually do find it quite charming to see them dressed in the, the Crichton makeup. So that, you know, for all these years that Robert Llewellyn's obviously mm. had to put with, um, or wearing this, it's finally going to go on the other, the other, the other guys. Um, you know, it is quite good fun. Um, yeah, it, you know, this episode does make me chuckle. Um, you know, I think there's, there's moments when they have like, the support group. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That's good. It, is, is really good fun. Um, yeah, it, it's a solid episode. I mean, you know, again, it's this exploration of sort of servitude and, and, and you know, um, what is it that, you know, Crichton has that, that makes him different? And it's the fact that, you know, yeah, he may not be, you know, we're going back to Crisis uh, from the last mm-hmm. from the last series. Yeah, he may not be as good as that as Butler, uh, that droid, but you know what? He is still unique. He is still an important member of the crew. Um, and yeah, so yeah, this is, this, to me, this is quite a solid episode. It's, I'll say a solid episode. It's a step up from cured. In oh, a for lot sure. of um, but yeah, I know it, it's a, it's a good one. I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, yeah, I agree that it's a solid episode. Um, I, I, I think it's sort of less than a classic, but it's a, it's a, solid uh strong episode that we'd probably be happy in any season um you know that support group is very good you know the sort of like calling ourselves robot slave survivors uh you know our our heads are sensibly shaped you know sort of you know mantras um is very good um lister trying to say smeg hand uh is, is very fun um 
I, I think the for me, the ending is a little fast. Um, mm. You know, the gladiatorial combat is more clever than funny for me. Like, I, I see it as kind of like, oh, this is the you're right that, you know, things devolve into, you know, the fist fight. I see it as very much kind of a mock time, you know, Kirk and, and Spock fighting. And mm. the idea is that they're doing it, but with mops. Right. Yeah. You know. Which is a funny conceit, right? But, you know, and it's got slow-mo shots of the mops. And, you know, it's it's clever. But then you have them, you know, the whole idea is they want to get to this Siliconia space station, right? Which is kind of like, you know, you know, it's not Silicon Heaven. It's, it's a real place that they believe in. And then abruptly at the end of the episode, I mean, just as abruptly as they... You know, we haven't mentioned that, you know, there's this whole kind of thing with Lister's guitar has been found because, yeah. you know, he he threw it out of the airlock when in the previous episode when he was, you know, scolding himself as his own father. Um, and then, you know, they, they do this sort of like claw machine claw hand to fetch the guitar. And as mm. they do, the robots do a bigger claw hand and, and grab uh, Starbug, um, you know, which, OK, it's funny. But, you know, just as abruptly as the robots came in, uh, they leave and all of a sudden they're at Siliconia. Again, like, you know, how long have you been searching for Siliconia? And it happens as soon as we meet them, you know, and, and what they get an upgrade, right? Yes. Everyone, everyone gets an upgrade. So they're, to, to equal, they're all become equal sort of thing. Um. Apart from Crichton, who who chooses not to take the upgrade, um, which is inter- again, like you say, it's, it's a it's bizarre, but um, yeah, it it feels to me like the last two episodes. In fact, I felt it <clears throat> in in some of the others as well. Is there's almost like that with the script and and sort of the, there's a joy in exploring a certain theme and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like the. They, then they go, oh, actually, oof, we've reached 20 minutes. I've got three minutes to resolve this. <laughs> uh, you know, all right, we better bang this on. And it sort of felt, it, both Cured and Siliconia sort of have a similar um, feeling of that sort of, you know, just sort of abrupt um, resolution. You know, sort of like, oh, we're back to status quo, back on. Um, and it, I, there were moments of that in both 10 and 11. Um, I was like, yeah, we've ex- we've explored this idea. I really like it. Oh shit, got to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do wonder, sort of like, you know, if because um, obviously it's Doug Naylor now that's obviously doing um, doing the the, the sole sort of production. So you know, was it Rob Grant and everything in the past that sort of like was was making them a little tighter in some way? I don't know. It just a lot of the times they just sort of come to that sort of just a, a, a stop. Um, mm-hmm. And it happens a couple of times more in this series as well. Um, that, you know, I don't know, maybe, you know, if he was given an extra five, ten minutes, maybe he could have explored it further. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's stuff that could be that could be trimmed or I mean, you know, the whole I think the whole guitar stuff is a little silly. Um, mm. What do we need? What is the point of the guitar stuff? Uh, I mean, we had him playing jamming with Hitler, right? Um, you know, why do we need that guitar at all in this episode? I mean, it kind of comes no. back at the end, but it's not really important, is it? 
No, again, it's that sort of it's this like support. It's almost like that Simpson effect, isn't it? Like you know, the episode starts on one note and then gets mm-hmm. completely sort of diverted elsewhere. So, as you said, this sort of revisits the idea that he, you know, when he was um, in, is it Fathers and Sons from the, the last series? Like right. you say, he's scolding himself and he ends up shooting his guitar into space because he hasn't joined the the engineering program, or whatever. Or two years later, or whatever, they found it. And you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So they're, they're gonna, that, that's going to be, there's going to be something, maybe they're going to revisit the rest of that. Nope, it's literally just an excuse <laughs> to get Starbug to go out and, and get the guitar. And then Starbug can be nabbed. So it, it, it's, yeah, it's 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 a a device, isn't it, really? It's just a bookend mm-hmm. device that, that takes up time more than anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I would be happier, as you say, you know, with a little more on the back end and... I, I, you know, I, I find Lister's inability to play guitar uh, somewhat tedious at this point. Um, mm. You know, it, it's fine. You know, occasionally it's very funny that he's just so um, delusional about his own ability. Um, but, you know, we've seen that. Uh, I, I, you know, I, this is so nitpicky. And again, I think, you know, I mean, I have this as you know, a seven out of 10. This is a solid episode. I'm happy with it. Um, you know, it was fun. It's a kind of return to normal, but you know, mm-hmm. not to quibble, but I think like, okay, so if you jettisoned that guitar two years ago, what is the course red dwarf is on? <laughs> like yeah. there is this yeah. sort of like how many human outposts are out here? How, how, how far, I mean, is red dwarf like 20 years closer to earth out of, Three million. Well, they stopped for hundreds of years in that one episode. So, I I don't know. Um, I mean, that's very nitpicky, but yeah, I I agree. It's it's just it it's a device, and the thing it takes up time at the beginning when you could be like, surely this could have just been, um, yeah. The, it, all in all, I think the the whole guitar thing is is in order to facilitate the gra- mm-hmm. the grabby or joke. That is it. Yeah, you know what I mean? absolutely. That, that, and it's sort of like, well, it takes up an awful lot of time. Um, you know, it would have been there's, there's better ways to have contracted that opening seat so you can spend more time exploring the sort of the droid ship and that. But yeah, it's still a good episode. Um, it is. It's still good. I, I say I really like some of the stuff in the middle. I think the you know I I really do enjoy some of the stuff on the droid ship. Um, one of the things that they get to choose their own names and that sort of thing mm-hmm. um you know it it does actually sort of there's some there's some interesting bits and it's and it's funny this one just sort of like this one makes me laugh a lot more than than cured did oh i agree yeah uh it, it definitely is amusing and fun it has that sense of fun that we like mm. in the best red dwarf episodes it lets us kind of ignore a, a, a quibble here and there um i i do come back to like what is the siliconia space station who built this? Why, you know, why does it give out upgrades? I mean, at that, do I care? Yeah, at this point, I don't think you're supposed to ask. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? It's sort of like, oh, okay, that's their journey. Don't worry about that too much. Because um, usually you could be going, that's that's quite impressive technology. Surely we should be boarding that say, space space station. <laughs> what else they've got that could help? But uh, yeah, not really, not really supposed to ask that question. I don't think. Um, and that's the thing, like I say, it's nitpicky. We can nitpick because a lot of it is very, very good, but right. 
unfortunately, it becomes a little bit like once you do scratch away, you're sort of like, oh, you know, again, one more pass over the script could have made it a little bit tighter, maybe. There is that kind of uh, another moment that is good is the sort of like I've allowed others to think for me. Uh, the sort of very Monty Python, like, uh, you know, we're all individuals. You know, I'm not. Uh, yeah. Sort of the irony of how we we are kind of, I, obviously it's about humans and not droids, right, is a metaphor, that we are a collectivist species and that even the idea of Western individualism is something we have been taught. Right. You know, this central irony. And I, and I do think that's a that's a fun, clever, good sequence there. Yeah, this is, they do keep tapping into some really, really good ideas. Um, but yeah, so Silicon, I mean, two episodes in, I think, you know, it's, it's fine is where I'm at with this sort of series. I'm still like, yeah, it's fine. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but this, this one, this next episode is actually I mentioned last uh, on the last episode, I sort of said, oh, there's a couple of episodes I'm interested to see where um, <laughs> your thoughts go on this one and time wave so the third episode in the series time wave is was it was one i was like i'm really interested to see where julian goes with this one um again there's a there's a bit of a uh, in, um a device there's a time little time wave which shoots yeah. objects back and forth through time never really explained in great detail but because of it um uh, Red Dwarf comes across another ship uh, that, that is populated, uh, and when they board the ship, they find that the crew um, uh, have been now under the mandate of a law which prevents you from chastising or judging anyone else and the work that they do. Um, and so, yeah, the it, it turns out that the, it's just it's hard to describe. Basically, it's chaos. Um, mm-hmm. it, and, and the ship again is about to crash into a moon on a fixed trajectory. And of course, yeah. why not? <laughs> Every place we board, it's about to die for some reason. Yeah. Well, this one feels a little bit. Um, we've said before about ones repeating, you know, and stuff. But this one is almost straight after because again. This is going into this feels so similar to Siliconia in many ways that I was a bit I find it quite jarring. I mean, there's some good moments in this, but again, the theme is going to another area's um, another location, another culture, um, right. and then having to sort of like that culture then wants to transfer you in or change you in some way so that you can appreciate their culture. Like you know, in Siliconia, it was. They get changed into to mechanoids. Uh, in this one, they want to remove um, their judgment and, and, and their bitterness and all this other stuff to make them, you know, so they can adhere to this law. Uh, and it, you know, it, it comes to a conclusion. But what what were your thoughts on Time Wave? Well, um, just to follow up on what you're saying, I also felt that it was it was similar to Siliconia. I think it's also similar to Cured in the sense mm-hmm. of. It's about we are on this thing that's about to be destroyed. Do we leave them? You know, it's more trouble than it's worth. Do we just let them die? I mean, why are we even doing this? Um, so, I, I mean, there is that sense of repetition. And three episodes in, I shouldn't have that much sense of repetition. Yeah. Um, I think I th- I think this is a weaker episode than Cured. Um, 
I think that it has a few good moments, um, but I don't think really much is working here. Um, mm. I think it's a sort of parody of PC culture. Um, I, I mean, do we read? I couldn't figure out, like, is this mocking excessive PC culture or is this mocking, uh, you know, um, you know, sort of in a uh, Last Jedi kind of way? Uh, critics, you know, which is a a trope in, um, you know, in, in writing, especially science fiction, right? You know, that somehow criticism is bad. But I mean, that doesn't end up to be the case, right? Um, there were a few things that I like, but mostly I feel like even the, you know, I have this problem where I I think, I don't know how this rule is really implemented, right? Because if you can say nothing negative, other people can perceive things as negative that aren't necessarily negative. I mean, even mentioning that, um, you know, Rimmer has killed the entire crew, right? Well, how you I mean, you can't then talk about what has happened in your past without mm. implicitly criticizing someone. Um, now, I mean, I get that it's supposed to be dysfunctional, but... You know, I mean, there are things that are mildly clever, like, you know, uh, the guy in jail for tutting, you know, uh, yeah. you know, who can't stop himself. Um, you know, uh, you know, there are things that are kind of, you know, mildly clever. I, I like that the, the crit cop explains the paradox that, you know, once we put this law in place, nobody could criticize it. So we've just kind of been stuck here, um, you know, but obviously the uh, the time wave setup is stupid. Um, you know, I don't buy this society and I don't know that I need to buy it because obviously it's a ridiculous science fiction premise, but I don't know how it works. And a lot of it seems to be going for, um, sort of silly gags. Like, you know, the greeter is effeminate, you know, mm -hmm. they imitate him and bounce along. Like, I don't know why that's, I guess it's funny to watch. I mean, I don't know what's being mocked there. It just seems a little a little weird and off, and I don't know. What are your thoughts? No, I, I completely agree. I think this this a lot of this episode feels so out of time. Um, you know, this is the sort of thing I'd have expected from a sitcom, maybe in the early nineties. You know, mm -hmm. this, this sort of thing of like you like say taking the Mickey out of the PC culture. Um, excessive PC culture. Oh, we can't criticize this. So the engineers are catering, and the catering crew are doing the navigation. Blah blah blah. Like, like I know it's supposed to be, you know, thing. It's supposed to be funny, but it's it just it never. Like I say every step of the way, it's sort of like it. it, it it's that thing is not thought through well enough. I mean, like you know, they'll mm -hmm. do things like um, when they open, they've got the pictures on the walls. You know, the badly these badly crayoned or wax drawn sort of pictures. And there's some bits you think oh, that's funny, but then it's sort of like this is by so and so who's thirty six and a half. And I'm like, okay, that's mildly funny. And then okay, that that's sort of a bit and then like I say, but then they'll do it like, okay, the greeter who I think is supposed to, I don't know he's supposed to be the captain or some whatever he's supposed to be. But he's wearing a tutu mm -hmm. and, you know, um an elaborate sort of almost like a pantomime dame esque costume. Mm -hmm. And then sort of they'll they'll sort of like, you know, like you say, sort of, like, you know, it's that stupid joke of walk this way so they all mm. mimic him. Like, oh, you know, this was this was 
a joke from Dad's Army in the seventies, or you know what I mean? It's sort of yeah, it's a it's a Mel Brooks joke, right? Uh, yeah. Speaking speaking of which, we we you know, I was reminded that the producers uh, did the Hitler thing too back in the sixties. You know, um, yeah, it's it's not good to be ripping stuff off from forty years ago that wasn't especially funny forty years ago. No, I mean the the, the, the greeter or whatever he is reminds me of. Um... And again, this just might be my just my brain, but this idea of someone being overly effeminate uh, and everything—you know—it's it, played for laughs in this mm-hmm. way. And I'm like, it does. It reminds me more of there's a, there's a sitcom called "Are You Being Served" from mm. the sixties and seventies, um, which is it was basically one of those British sitcoms littered with sort of like you know innuendo and sort of homophobia, basically. Um, there was a character in it. I forget, Mister. Oh, one of my listeners, one of our listeners will probably know this, but uh, he, he basically is sort of like you know he's effeminate and he's sort of like you know. Uh, so are you free? I'm free, and it's, it's, it's it feels like that. I'm thinking right, that didn't age well. This hasn't either. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. And even when you've got like I say like Johnny Vegas, who is I find funny. He's a, he's not a bad comedian actor, as you say, he's the critic cop and stuff like. All of that, it just feels like, although it's played for laughs and you've got, you know, everyone's brightly coloured in pinks and reds and greens and all this other stuff, like, this episode feels like it's got a taint of bitterness to it. Yeah. And it, I don't know, it just doesn't work at all. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I mean, there are, it's not just the central premise. I mean, the crit cop at one point has a criticism breathalyzer. Mm. Okay. I guess that's funny because cops have breathalyzers and here's the crit cop version of that. But you know that, how does that make sense? I mean, it's just like, you know, I'm Batman. So, you know, I've got a bat phone. Um, you know, it's not funny. Um, there's that whole like uh, escaping from jail thing where Crichton has isotope samples in his arm that combines with a helium seven from Lister's boot because they mm. were on this moon that, you know, Rimmer's named Planet Rimmer. You know, that's one of the decent parts of this whole episode. Um, and, you know, so they blow up in the, the cell and escape and are literally captured inside the cell. Yeah. So what was the point of this entire sequence, right? I mean, they literally don't even leave the cell. And it's not, that's not played for laughs, particularly. You know, I do think of, um, you know, of the, in the climax, the climax has to be the worst part. And I think watching it, I thought, okay, this isn't great. I'm not loving this, you know, but I'm along for the ride. And when we get to after the the jailbreak attempt gone wrong, we have this sort of climactic um, sequence in which this effeminate leader is saying like, well, I'm going to hook you up to the train device. And so there's this device that removes self-criticism. All right. Which is literally just wires hanging down from a spotlight you know like in all of this budget you know things look a lot better in the recent seasons but this is not good um you know there's one funny line about you know how how rimmer again you know it's amazing how much rimmer steals the show rimmer you know mentions yvonne magruder again and says i thought clitoris was spit on her wrist 
um, <laughs> which is a little absurd, but you know, but it's funny. Um, and then Rimmer's inner critic overpowers the machine, you know, as this effeminate guy is, is sort of being played for laughs. And there's this kind of like, uh, you know, uh, inner critic manifesting physically in the room with an R on his face, you know, for no reason. I mean, you know, for Rimmer, uh, it's, it's at this point that I'm just like holding my head in my hands. Uh, I, I kind of go along with it until this point. And then I cannot, uh, get over that kind of brain device thing and the inner critic and it being commented on by this kind of effeminate, uh, you know, satire character. Well, this is it again, because, you know, there are two moments in this show, this episode that I like, um, but you, but this and I'll get to this in a minute, but this this like I said this finale again talk about repeating ourselves like how although I love Rimmer like and I love all this stuff when they do these explorations and stuff like but this is no different to um you know the Psy Moon in season five where they go hmm. you know you get like, Rimmer's there addressing his own monster and you think yeah well we've already done this right you know this like, so, all right, you couldn't come up with anything better than something. You know, whilst I enjoy seeing, you know, the, some of the some of the comments are funny when he talks about sort of like how this self critic has protected Rimmer from doing all this stuff, and mm. Rimmer has a moment of sort of realization. Like, okay, that's fine, but we've been here before, um, and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. Even to the extent of what was it the um, in the last series, um, the medical the medical droid that wasn't a medical droid. Um, and you know, Rimmer giving mm. himself a sort of a psychoanalysis. Uh, uh, yeah, like, yeah, that that was funnier than this. And it's sort of like you know, we, but we keep coming back to this thing. Like you can't seem to get away from this. Um, and I, I honestly think one of the things, and we've sort of talked about it. The problem this is, we're now sort of twelve series in. Uh, you know, we, we're what thirty years hence from the, the start, and because these characters have grown but not been able to develop like there's they can't that they keep having to come back to the same character traits to to make jokes and it's starting to wear a little thin in some respects mm-hmm. um and, and i think that's a real shame and it's just glaringly more, more than any time it gla- it's glaring with this this episode finale um i don't know i don't know what your thoughts are on that no i agree with you um you know i'm i'm curious uh, about what you think is the other, or you know, these two worst episodes or worst um, moments in Time Wave. Oh no, there's two good moments. I, I, I like the okay. opening. I like the idea of sort of this idea of um, Planet this, Rimmer. Planet Rimmer. That that bit is is quite good. So you know, the fact he's sort of like, I found this moon. It's it's the most precious uh, element in the universe. Um, and you know, even with this sort of handful of stuff, like I can be, you know, I'm, I'm rich and this other stuff. So, I again, the opening of this episode, I'm quite like, oh, okay, this is quite funny. Like, you know, they're doing some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it sort of goes off a cliff a little bit. But the other moment is when it's revealed that Crichton does keep collections of dirt and stuff in it, like an arm compartment, and River's like, "What? Why do you do that?" And is <laughs> response is why do you keep keep collections of wooden soldiers in your locker like you know um 
that exchange is like, well, next time, you know, because obviously the, the helium eleven and the helium seven and what he's got his arms going to create an explosion. So, like, well, next time your sort of you know your wooden legionnaires are going to save the day, I'll let you take a lead on this. Like, <laughs> yeah, I like the fact that like Crichton actually does have a little dig at him, and I, I, that little exchange, <laughs> I really enjoy. Um, but apart from that, like apart from the, you know, like I said the beginning bit and that one little moment in the cell. Yeah, this this episode to me is 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 dire. Like it really bothers me how bad this episode is, and almost like, to an extent of almost to me almost how offensive this episode sort of yeah veered into. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I mean, I I would quibble about like I like the beginning. I I love that he he wants to he dubs it Planet Rimmer and his sort of like the way he keeps coming back in this episode to sort of not planet Rimmer, you know, he's so concerned about the stupid moon. Um, but, you know, so I like that, even though it's a little over the top, but uh, that works for me. But I do wonder, like, um, you know, uh, how does he get to name this planet? I guess as, as the as the ranking officer, why are they still obeying that? Why does he yeah. think that like he's going to have all this money when we get back to Earth? It's crystal clear they're not getting back to Earth. And even if they did, you know, this, the money is not going to be worth anything. Um, you know, that kind of stuff seems, you know, the idea that Rimmer is still holding out. Because there's no... We've long since passed the point where they're talking about getting back to Earth. Um, yeah. So I, I just kind of find that a little a little weird. Um I also do hate, I mean, I really, you know, I mentioned like how much I hate the, um, oh, you know, we're, uh, we're boarding a space station that's about to run into a protoplanet. Um, you know, I really do hate that. And, and, and this has that, but I also hate the idea that like a few hours on the ship and they repeal the criticism law. It's like, you know, oh, we've, you know, literally the climax is criticism can be good for us we've never thought of that before and then the guy just unilaterally reverses it really that's what our characters you know have accomplished so they are the sort of like messiah characters but that's kind of intrinsic to some sci-fi plots but here it's so paper thin i mean the idea that it's never occurred to them that criticism might be positive and result in something positive Again, maybe it's just the the sort of like unthought out, bitter, angry at political correctness or something, which I don't associate with the show. I mean, this is a show that has, I mean, okay, it's it's treatment of women could be better, but it, it's certainly a show that has minority characters. I mean, you have uh, both Lister and the cat. Um, you know, it's a show that, while not a platform for, you know, a liberal agenda in a, in a, in an onerous sort of way is, you know, certainly seems to be, um, sensitive. And this episode just feels like, how is this is what's going on in, in Naylor? Uh, what's going on here? Yeah. And that's it. I, mean, I was almost tempted to have a look to see, was there anything going on in the news at the time? Like, you know, was, was it getting a bad rep or something? But I thought, well, no, because Eleven was actually, like you say, Eleven mm-hmm. received some good, was, as we sort of said, received good reviews and stuff. So I don't know where this has come from, other than 
maybe, like you say, it was just a, right, we haven't picked fun at this yet. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to be fair. Yeah. And maybe that's it. And, and maybe, like, you know, because we're saying that, you know, it's, it's maybe the confused satire within it. I mean, you know, some of the bad jokes and, and sort of, you know, targeting of certain types is, is poor, but maybe the bad jokes and stuff is because he doesn't really want to have to do this episode. He's like, okay, well, I've got to sort yeah. of try something different. And it maybe it just doesn't sit well with him. And that's why it doesn't work. Yeah, I wondered about that too. Like, you know, is this. It didn't occur to me that this was kind of, you know, maybe just a fairness ploy. But, um, yeah, I mean, there are moments where it seems like his heart isn't really in it. And you could have thought of something better here. Um, You would have if you really cared about doing a biting satire. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it it does not work. Uh, It's certainly one on the short list of worst red dwarf episodes yes i, I definitely agree um yeah and that's what was interesting what you thought of it because <laughs> it, it's just such a like i say it's, it's almost like a baffling departure from what they've done before though it's like i don't get where this where's this going um yes that climax man i mean yeah that's that's one of those just sort of like where i i hold my head in my hands and i'm just like okay I just, I, I, you know, I check the time counter and I'm like, okay, I've got like six minutes left. Okay. How bad yeah. can it be? We'll get to the next episode. Well, this is it. I mean, you know, we're three episodes into the season. Um, and really, so far, Siliconia, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. But I'm really not, it, I'm, I've got a bad feeling of what's coming. You know, I'm sort of thinking, oh, it just doesn't feel this doesn't feel like it's it's gelling in the way that it has before. Um, yeah. And that was frustrating because we both agreed like 11 is good. I mean, mm. 11 is, you know, is a, is a strong season and, and has, I think a couple uh, just classic episodes. I mean, you have crisis, you know um, there are a, a couple episodes in 11 that just could stand with the, you know, any season's strong episodes. Um, so I had the same sort of thing, like, you know, oh, I wanted another season 11 and I'm, I'm getting more and I'm a little, you know, I'm happy with some of it. I'm happy it exists. You know, I'm yeah. a Red Dwarf fan. I want more Red Dwarf. Okay. But, you know, yeah, this episode is, is definitely a kind of groaner. Yeah. And as you said, I think, I think this is in that potential for one of the worst episodes, um, you know, ever, but uh, we, you know, we jump forward, um, you know, because the season continues and we get me- mecha ocracy. Mm-hmm. Um, um, another interesting one. So, um, after a series of events, um, you know, the um, the crew are about to try and leave Red Dwarf because it's because uh, of I think it's because it's about to explode, um, and the vending machines. Do, uh, a light on the notion that they're not being taken with with the rest of the crew <laughs> left behind to be destroyed. Um, when the ship isn't destroyed, um, the the vending machines and technical appliances all agree that actually they should have a bit of a say in what's going on on the ship, and so go on strike, um, which leads to an, an election to have a representative for uh, the technical appliances on the ship. Um, so we get an election episode, which. Very different. Um, what were your thoughts on this episode? 
I like this episode. Um, I, I again, I don't, I don't think that it's a, it's a classic, but, um, but it is a very fun idea, and it has some fun stuff. I mean, I think you and I both love. I mean, we, we I like robots generally, but mm-hmm. you and I both love the scutters. I love, yeah. you know, all the vending machine stuff. I, I love any episode that has scutters and vending machines. And, you know, the, the scutters pulling the vending machines on strike is very funny. Um, you know, Rimmer, uh, you know, uh, running uh, against Crichton, um, you know, in this uh, debate about, uh, you know, in which uh, they get a question about Silicon Heaven, you know. I mean, literally before we did this episode, we were talking about how, uh, in America, you've got to make these uh, religious statements to run for office, you know, and here we're seeing the same thing happen on the ship with robots in Silicon Heaven. So, I mean, there's a lot of good fun here. Yeah, I think when, when Rimmer has that sort of live debate and he sort of he says, well, I believe whatever you believe. <laughs> the way he does it, I think it's it's very topical. I mean, this was 2016. I think this came out. No, this was I have to check now. Uh, 2018, maybe actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, th- th- I I enjoy this episode. It was 2017. This came out. Um, so I can post, see post this, Trump. Yeah, but I can see this being written during that campaign and during that election and stuff. Um, oh yeah. But I I do like the I meaning. We get but we get talky toaster back. Um, uh-huh. which is good. But I, I I just like the I do like the idea on this that actually yeah this because the four crew don't really do a great lot a great deal and so they are sort of reliant on this sort of um you know the artificial intelligence machines on the ship um and they do, they do take them for granted so it's um yeah there's some there's just some because there is some good stuff in this i mean i like the fact that, that you know it's going to rely on um um going for the dirty tricks you know of course, of course list is trying <laughs> rake mud uh, on the things and Rimmer, I, I, like, right. yeah, I, I like the fact that Rimmer does a campaign video of sort of and he does they do mention stuff they rake up stuff from the from the past uh-huh. um, it's yeah it's um, in fact and, and they did res- they respond um, so there's those two sort of like mud raking uh, campaign ads which I think are very funny yeah I agree and and I love the iconography of you know the posters and, you know, seeing scudders driving past, you know, posters uh, for this campaign. It, it, it's over the top, but it's it's so it's so wonderful. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it is. There's a lot of fun, um, you know, and again, sort of um, I, I, again, it's sort of quite a, quite a Crichton centric episode and stuff. And I like um, it. Just the notion of sort of Crichton having to step up, and it makes sense for him to be the sort of like the leader. But the moment mm. when it's happening, and the, he comes in, he's like, Look, "I've spoken to the machines, and they've said they would like a, a representative to, you know, for their for their point of view uh, in decisions being made on the ship. Um, someone who can voice, the, you know, who has the voice of uh, the the mechs." And Rimmer's like, "Well, it's it's, it's going to be me." Mm-hmm. And Crichton says, "But sir, I am." A mechanoid, like it's sort of like you know any chance for power. Um, Rumor's gonna, <laughs> even when like even flying in the face of like logic, <laughs> it's like it makes no sense for him to step up against Crichton. But damned if he's not gonna try to just have a little bit of power. 
No, I uh, love that too. Um, and and I like. I mean, in, in a way, it does make sense because you know, um, uh, Rimmer is artificial. I mean, he's got his his holo projector, and um, you know, he's he's not alive. Um, and Crichton gets to this point later where he says, "Oh, I've bitten off more than I can chew." Where Crichton says, "But I'm not equal." I don't see myself as equal. So in a way, Crichton is the worst representative for yeah. machine rights because he believes in machine subservience. That's a really but yes, he was always supposed to be giving in, wouldn't he? Um, yeah. Uh, it, it's it, again like a step up from having come from time uh, time wave to this. Like this oh. has got so many good moments in it. Um, and again, I like the moment when you know when they're like, "Look, it's there's a swing vote, you know. <laughs> there's only one, but there's one vote we've got to get to win this." <laughs> and so they have, yeah, go ahead. And they have to go visit Talkie Toaster, and um, yeah. Lister having to give in to him. It's sort of negotiating, like, "Yeah, I've got to be in the the the, quarter, the living quarters," and uh, you know. He goes off and sort of like, right, I want you to have nine rounds of toast and a crumpet. And this is, I'm not <laughs> toast. No, not And has to keep sort of like whistling him down. Um, I, I, I do enjoy that scene. That's really good. Yeah, I enjoy it too. Uh, I, I did think that it it has a little bit of the sort of like fans, you know, it's fan service, right? It's like, we want to see Taki Toaster again. I want to see Taki Toaster again. Of You know, it, it's a little silly and absurd that it comes down to him. And then what are you going to do with Taki Toaster, but have toast discussions, right? Um, so, I mean, I like the negotiation, but I do think by the end where, you know, the sort of end is Rimmer sealed in the garbage hole, just saying no toast to Taki Toaster. At that point, it's a, it's over the top. We got it, you know. It's fun yeah. to see Taki Toaster again, but a little goes a long way. Yeah, it's... Um... That if it had just been kept to that one scene, and the fact of the matter is, Crichton wins and doesn't. That the point to note is, um, Crichton wins, but then doesn't actually hold up his election promise because Torquay's still in the hold. Yeah, right. Yeah, they've totally uh, and and there's no result from this, right? I mean, Crichton <laughs> wins, but it's not like he said, you know, like from now on, every time they leave Red Dwarf, they're going to take the vending machines. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those sort of it's a fun episode. It's never going to come up again. Never right. going to be mentioned again. Um, uh, so it, yeah, it does sort of get left behind. But um, I, I do enjoy the sort of like the, the idea of it. Um, and that, like I said, because it's one of the things that Red Dwarf has tapped into on many occasions has been this has been the notion of a power dynamic and um, you know levels of authority. So. Even even in deep space, they keep sort of falling into these sort of norms of, um, you know, I see like political parties and, and all this other stuff. Like, you know, these, these notions always keep coming up again and again. So, right. Um, they seem kind of like uh, clinging to them, kind of. Uh... Yes. So, um, yeah. I, I, I do have an important question for you. Um, I mean, do you believe that uh, deleting documents is murder? Yeah, <laughs> at what that was a, at what point is it? What, at what point is a file a document? Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's very, very. I mean, it, it's very silly, but it's very funny. Yeah, and again, like, you know, we've said about having things haven't been thought through. This is where some of the jokes of, of 
the wit and the jokes are really good because that is a great when they're doing that debate um that question like you know and and Rimmer sort of saying when when is a when is it when is a document a file when's a file a document and you know when's it, when's it okay to sort of get rid of it um is is very political and it, it, you could take that and I could imagine that being a sort of like it, it's it is that sort of like was it the uh, the um you know the I suppose it's the equivalent of like the abortion kind of thing isn't it um, right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but yeah. it's it's very silly, right? Because you, you have to delete documents. I mean, Crichton is deleting memories all the time, right? Um, obviously, it's inconceivable that, that this would really be done. But I do love the sort of like, you know, ridiculousness of like asking uh, robot political candidates, you know, um, you know, when does a document, you know, if we believe that we have sentience, when does a document have sentience and then mm. this gets you into kind of like problems of where does consciousness reside i mean if if you delete a human being's memory are you deleting a part of a human being um i don't know i mean it, it, it's certainly problematic in terms of the logistical working in the universe but i do love the abortion question you know for robots <laughs> yeah and this is where i think like i say the, the writing is really solid in this episode um and some of the ideas. I mean, it, you know, you, there's even sort of like subplots mm-hmm. uh, going on that are, that are quite good. Like, it, it turns out that Cat is actually, um, you know, his, his, his vision has been impaired um, for a long time by the sound of it. And then he finds mm-hmm. a pair of glasses, um, and just by putting them on, he's like, "Oh man, all this stuff I can I can see, I can read," um, and he gets blackmailed into helping Rimmer on the election campaign and then later like, has to make a choice um, it turns out he's learning things um, yeah. <laughs> by reading um, and, and you know Lister sort of poses the question he's like well you know look, you've got you've got a choice here you can sort of keep learning and, and develop and expand as a person or you can ignore this issue you've got with your vision and just get rid of the glasses and try and be cool for as long as possible. And instantly you just see the glasses getting shredded in a, in a blender. Um, so we know where cat sort of like sits on it, but um, again, it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's an interesting concept, this idea of could, could, um, you know, could there be more to the cat? Um, and they just keep teasing these ideas, but it's not really explored. But again, I quite like that as a subplot. Yeah, I do too. I was going to ask what you thought about that. Um, you know, I, yeah, I think it's fascinating. Um, it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, I, I, I was a little disturbed at the idea that, uh, you know, in, in 2018, that glasses aren't cool. Um, you know, I mean, glasses are, are seen as fashionable. Um, I don't know, you know, and the idea that like reading isn't cool, you know, like, Okay. All right. Are are we in Greece now? You know. Um, you know. I was a little bothered by that, but but I do love that that plot, and I like the idea that cat could be something more. Um, and I also um, like any indication, and we get a little bit more of this as time goes on. But I like any kind of like recognition that the crew is getting older. You know, mm. uh, that's one of the things that I that I really dig about like uh, Star Trek two, um, you know, you have to acknowledge time is passing. You have to acknowledge that your cast is getting older. 
Yeah, and especially the cat who is so narcissistic and, and sort of you know shallow. It's sort of it's 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 almost more important to acknowledge him getting older than, than some of the others. Um, but again, like it's one of those things where some minor tweaks could, probably could have helped this sort of story. Because um, the glasses are very plain; they're just some plain black rimmed sort of glasses. Mm. But they're not, you know, they're not particularly stylish or anything. But they're not hideous. Um, but this could have easily, I think, been remedied if if they were to acknowledge that the glasses they found were the only pair of glasses. You know, <laughs> ignore the Eddie Bay that could do, you know, pretty much anything by the sound of it. But so I don't know why he's not having laser eye surgery, but. Um, uh, yeah, if you'd, you know, if they were to be some sort of elaborate Elton John kind of glasses or Dave uh-huh. Edner glasses, not look. Yeah, but these are the only glasses on the ship, and they're helping you see. You know, and he's got to make the choice then between because then it's like, actually, yeah, it's not the reading that's uncool; it's the fact that yeah. you are lumbered with these glasses. <laughs> well, that's I mean. The- you could even have a bit where they're sort of like doing the glasses up, uh, you know, in a in a cooler way and trying to get Kat to uh, to uh, decide to keep them. Um, you know, like this is important. This is good for you. You know, like Lister's helped Crichton grow so much, but Lister doesn't seem to have the same commitment to the cat here. I mean, he mm. knows now that the cat could be greater, but, you know, he's perfectly content to, to let him stay a cat. Yeah, so there, there are, you know, it's one of those again where it, if they were to tweak it a little bit, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think it would be, you know, a little stronger. Um, but it is good. Uh, I, I do like it, and I, and I like his response to it at the end, where he sort of like again, it goes back to that thing of like the cat's just sort of like, no, I'm happy being, I'm happy just being me, and I'm going to crack on with life, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, and and as far as like stuff that could be eliminated. Um, you know, we have the same problem here, you know, that we had in Siliconia, where we have this kind of setup at the beginning, where we have this like SOS virus that, you know, there's so much time spent with uh, sort of berating Lister for just, uh, you know, it's a cool idea of there's, you know, an SOS beacon is actually a virus. So mm. you've got a quarantine like, a you know, a, a beacon. Uh, a message which we've never seen before and we'll never see again, but it's kind of a cool idea, but they spend a lot of time with that in order to get them to have to leave the ship, which they ultimately don't have to do. Um, and, uh, you know, all of that is just to see that the vending machines don't, aren't going to go with them, which of course the vending machines have seen before we've seen, you know, they've evacuated the ship a million times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the, I mean, th- this thing of, of having to tack on these, these introductions, these, these, you know, these intro segments, um, it's not a massive issue. Good thing is, but I mean, I think back to, um, I'm trying to think of the episodes. I'm pretty sure white hole and, uh, there's an earlier one as well in season three or four where it literally opens with um, Crichton, Lister, and Rimmer at a console, sort of like you know tapping away and and, Crichton, and Lister, Lister, Rimmer providing information, and the cat comes in and sort of unplugs the console to do his you know unsightly leg mm. uh, hair you know remover or whatever, <laughs> and it's like there's been no intro. It's just like, I don't know you you are opening in, you are opening the episode. In the moment of crisis, like they're literally mm-hmm. getting 
coming to this. And then they'll crack on with the episode after that. They'll move on and go, okay, that's, that's, you know, this is the situation, right? Here's the funny. But with this series, they seem to have this sort of determination to be like, no, no, we're going to have a, a middle beginning and an end. You know, I'm going to tell a full arc. And you're like, yeah, but in doing so, you, you're having to compress it into 23, 24 minutes and it's just not breathing or you're having to sort of, like you said, if this episode opened literally with them leaving the ship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you had some, some brief dialogue explaining why, you'd even have the joke. I mean, I'm sure they've done it before where there's just a joke of when they lost Red Dwarf. Right. They literally had the sort of thing of like, you know, they let they, they palm it off in like two minutes with a joke about Lister <laughs> losing it because he fell asleep at the console or whatever, or he was drunk or whatever. Like, they've done it before where they've just sort of like, you know, it's been a sort of dropped line or some, you know, some exposition in brief, you know, humorous dialogue and then they move on. But this series is determined to be like, here's the event that sort of instigates the entire plot. It's going to take five minutes. And then we'll get this, and then I won't really resolve anything because I've run out of time. Um, it, I don't know. It just sort of—I really like um, Ecocracy. I think has got some really good stuff in it, and I really enjoy some some bits of it. But you're right; this season is determined to try and—I don't know if it's trying to do something different or it's just not being as tight as it should be. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it's trying to do something different. I mean, I, I feel like you know. Obviously, the sort of seasons six, seven, and eight are are not as well uh, loved. But at this point, we've sort of you know done a soft reboot of the series, and at this point, we are in our third full series plus you know a, a three part movie into this sort of reboot, and it feels like okay, we've done that. We, we all enjoyed that. We were all happy to see Red Dwarf back. We didn't want Red Dwarf to come back with, you know, Kachansky and only on Starbug. You know, we wanted the original formula. We got the original formula. It's had ups, ups and downs. And at this point, I'm starting to feel like, all right, we're three and a half series in. Um, maybe we need to start screwing with that formula again. Yeah. I agree. It, yeah, I, I, mean, I don't want to say it feels tired, but it's the repetition and sort of this. I don't know. It 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 feels a little creaky at this point. I suppose is the way to put it for me, at least. Yeah. No. Well, I think, and for me, this is not a great season. And you know, these this sort of pattern continues uh, where for me, you get a sort of weak first episode and a good second episode. Not a stunning, great episode, but, you know, a a solid, strong episode. Then you get a really weak episode, and then you get a solid, strong episode. Um, You know, and now we're going into M-Corp, which I think is, you know, like those other uh, weak episodes, you know, a good idea, but poor execution. Um, I like the idea, but man, you know, it is, uh, it is not great. No, MCO is another one, isn't it? I mean, the, the general gist of the ship, uh, <laughs> ship of the episode is, um, we find out that the Jupiter mining core has been taken over by, uh, a new corporation called MCO. Um, and they are basically going to, 
insert themselves into the ship and into the way the ship is run um, to the extent that anything that is non-MCOR or, or formerly uh, Jupiter Monocore uh, is removed. Uh, this sort of leaves Lister uh, isolated um, while the, cr- the rest try to sort of figure out how to um, get him back. Um, and again, like this, this episode, like you say, has got some really interesting ideas. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. also got some. It's just got some moments like it, it never, it never rises beyond a smirk. <laughs> That's on a, a good on way a of human putting level. it. Yeah. Well, you and know, also, a... you know, the satire is just kind of smirky, right? Like, I mean, I hmm. think of uh, obviously this is done kind of post uh, Mr. Robot, right? Which had hmm. Ecore, um, and you know, here is Mcore. And obviously it's a kind of, you know, take on uh, present day capitalism. I mean, I love the MCOR video of like, you know, we're going to make your life better. And, you know, um, you know, it's a very kind of like post Apple, post Google, post Amazon, um, you know, and and, and really post uh, Mr. Robot uh, sort of take on beautiful convenient but ultimately malicious subscription model based capitalism that should work that should work Mm. and it just doesn't um it it doesn't you know it's nice to it it feels like very much like a kind of unremarkable doctor who episode um you have the perception filter right where we're going to filter out your ability to see non-mcorp stuff um and uh, you know, ultimately, they have to they have to go rescue uh, Dave. Um, I don't know. No, I think it's it's yeah, you're right. I mean, it has flashes of, of where you go, oh, that's a really good idea, that, um, and then never really gets beyond it. Um, it also has some good effects. I mean, there's some nice mm-hmm. moments in this, and some, you know, sounds daft, but some good mime. I mean. Um, yeah. when, when the, um, when the, the MCOR first is introduced to the ship and certain, certain things start to disappear, there's a great moment where, uh, Lister goes to his, his, the fridge next to his bunk to retrieve a lager and it's not there, or at least he can't see it because he's, he's now, he's now opened the, the MCOR lager. So he can see the MCOR lager, but he can't see the old lager. And he says to the cat, like, what are you doing with, what are you doing with it? Where's my beer? And he's like, it's right there, buddy. I can see it. <laughs> and he takes it out, and but like he's he's like he's holding it, and he's like, um, I can't see, like, I can't see, I can see this, but I can't see that. You you basically you're taking the mick. There's nothing there. So to prove a point, cat shakes it and says, "Well, if I shake this and pull it open, like you know, so nothing's going to happen." He's like, "No, it can't. There's nothing there." And he pulls it, and the way they've done it, like it's a physical, you know, it's not hugely complicated, but as a physical effect, like he pulls it open, and. He, you know, Lister is sprayed with uh, with beer coming from a can that's not there. Uh, but then uh, Danny John Jules obviously sort of like mimes drinking from the the can and stuff, and just, it's just it's just very well done. Um, and there's a couple of moments like that, you know, in in this um, the t- where the timing and the crew are very good. Like you know, they're uh, later on, then they are muted one by one, um, and uh, it, you know, it, it the crew the cast in this are good. Uh, and there were some mm-hmm. moments when they sort of do shine and do show what they're capable of. 
But overall, it's again, it's just a very sort of like eh kind of episode. Like you know, the the resolution at the end of it, I'm not bothered by. Yeah, I I am. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, I mean, continue on on the mind point. Um, uh, you know, Lister is uh, quite good. Like you know, there's this whole mm. thing with the invisible toothbrush, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, that stuff is good. You know, tripping over the invisible bed. I mean, you know, that's fine. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I this To me, it's already kind of lackluster. Like, I really want to like this episode. I like the ideas of this episode. Um, but then, you know, this sort of, like, M-Corp uh, computer program woman starts charging for everything and gets to the point where, like, it's, you know creating fires just to charge a lister for a fire extinguisher. And it seems mm-hmm. like, okay, this is, this is not the program you're operating on every spaceship in the former Jupiter mining core. Right. Which by the way, is going to be JMC in the next episode. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, so I just think like, okay, this is just getting a little over the top. Um, and then out of nowhere, uh, the, MCorp, uh, you know, woman slash computer program says, oh, well, you're out of credits. So now I'm going to charge you time. And then everything that, uh, you know, I, that uh, Lister gets is now makes him age. Okay. Mm-hmm. How the fuck does this work? I mean, yeah. this is so stupid. Um, and And then, you know, when we see Lister and he's rescued, he seems... He's just like he's an old man. He's perfectly content. He's just like I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy this bliss in the few minutes I have left. I guess I don't understand what's happened there either. Um, you know, then they they de-age Lister, you know, and they want to reinstall Lister. I mean, I guess, I guess that's what you know. I'm not that bothered by that, but you know, I, it doesn't make sense either. I don't understand why Lister de-ages. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. Well, no, I think you, you're right about this sort of the MCOR um, intelligence, the artificial intelligence for it, because, you know, obviously it's a, it's a little bit of a dig of like Siri or Alexa and that sort of thing. But if you were to have a subscription service where you have to pay for everything, that's fine. If you go broke, you don't get it. But surely charging people in time, like literally taking time <laughs> off their lives of the age or whatever, that's a really bad business model. Because <laughs> you well, sort of, also, like, within a week, like everyone's like, yeah, everyone's like ninety and dead, um, and you've got no customers. Like it, it's, it, it again, it's like you said, it's one of those ideas in this series that's just not been thought through properly. Like it, it yeah. Well, there was that movie, right, where they pay for things in time, and they have those counters, and you know, like on their wrist, they yeah, have these wrist watches. But that works both ways. Like you could right. literally add like time to your life. That's right. never mentioned in this. Like if it was to be turned around of like, oh, I mean, again, simple solution because it's disconnected from Earth because they're you know three million years in deep space apparently. Um, you know, the MCore intelligence couldn't bank Lister's time, so it was mm-hmm. had to save it locally. So we'll reinstall that time that had to be saved locally. Ah into Lister. Boom. Right. That could have been solved. Because then this idea is actually this time is a physical thing that actually you could add to somebody else. Because then right. you can create credit and you can that if it was to explain that, 
I would have been happy with that. But none of that's, you know, there you go. There's, that yeah. idea is just never broached. Yeah, that's a very good idea. And, you know, I mean, along the lines of the complaint that, um, you know, this is a bad business model, I thought, you know, who's benefiting from this? There's no mm. implication that you're extracting time in some mumbo jumbo physical form, which I'd be fine with, you know, you can plug it back into Lister. That's a great solution. But so why, what are you getting out of charging time? It, and it's just thrown in there as a one-liner and becomes so important to the plot. I don't know. I, I really am. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a bit like, uh, it's a bit like, you know, the climax of Time Wave, where mm. you kind of get to this point and you think like, well, okay, I'm along for the ride. It's Red Dwarf. Bad Red Dwarf is still better than the lows of other shows. Um, you know, I'm along for the ride. And then, you know, I'm thinking like, this is a good idea. I mean, you could you could write a good script of Time Wave, of the sort of, you know, you could write a good script of, of uh, Cured. I mean, mm. I want to see the M Corp kind of, you know, play up that satire, have a smart idea. And then you get to this climax where... You know, just like you have this ridiculous machine in Time Wave, where suddenly the, uh, you know, the Siri, as you as you pointed out, starts charging time, and from then on, I'm just like, okay. I mean, this is the train has hopped the tracks for me at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, I agree. And th- th- again, they sort of, it's the fact that Lister gives into it as well mm-hmm. bothers me more than anything. I mean. You know, they suggest. You know, when when it 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 hurts him in order to him to buy painkillers and water and other stuff, and then it and then it sets the thing on fire, so he has to get a fire extinguisher. And you sort of okay, that that's malicious and and doesn't really make a great deal of sense. And then it introduces a friend for him to have. Um, you know, and, and that sort of, and it bounces back to the Red Dwarf. And when, when, and when the crew finally catch up to him and are able to enter this sort of M-Core world, and he's got lots of friends there, he's clearly paid for more, he's surrounded by all this stuff. And I know it's supposed to be a comment on, you know, how we do give in to the sort of like, the ease of things, you know, whether it be Amazon or streaming services or whatever. Fine. But again, like, why has Lister given in to buying all this crap? Because, to, to, you know, because... I know he's supposed to be suffering from some form of isolation, but it's still it, even that doesn't feel like in in character. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like he's given up the fight. Right. Well, how long? Yes, yes, he's been giving up time, but he hasn't been there years. Right. You know, he's been there. He's been there a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> right, and he's completely given way. I mean, my objection to it is that it happens off screen. Right now, mm. maybe there was a scene where you have him say, well, there's nothing left to do, but like join the capitalist consumer hordes, which as you say, seems really antithetical to Lister. Yeah. But to, but to cut back to the regular crew as Lister is passionately resisting, you know, desperately, but yes, resisting, you cut back to the, the rest of the crew, they go in to rescue him and they just find him already having utterly submitted. Hmm. That just seems like such a rift, not only for Dave's character, but also 
for the story that we've been following, where it's a story of resistance. And, uh, you know, you could have done that scene of him submitting, as you say, you know, as a sort of social commentary. And it could have been interesting. I mean, it could be 16 seconds. That's fine. But to just find him like that just feels incongruous. Yeah. And and I think that's sort of been the sort of theme of this series is it's been things just seem slightly bolted together for either a joke or to wrap things up. Because um, that is the solution of Encore. Like they literally just find him, they pull him out, and then they age, you know, they, they rejuvenate him in whatever way. And even the resolution of how they defeat the bloody Siri, um, you know, Crichton's like, well, you can buy me anything. So, you know, you can provide me with anything. Um, I want a virus that will wipe you out. Uh-huh. Well, no, because we've seen that this artificial intelligence has actually had, you know, has had some, has, first, it's got a level of, of awareness and a level of intelligence because yes. it's actually, it, it's proactively hurt and threatened Lester in order for him to spend money. So, you know, why would it give up such a thing straight away? It, again, it's, it's such a simple sort of solution of going, you know, and again, it's that sort of it's the the annoying thing of Crichton comes in and says, "Well, of course, the logical thing is for it to for me to provide a virus for it that will do this." And you go, "Well, would it not be more threatened if it said no?" Right. No, I was bothered by that too. I mean, yeah, I, I surely agree. As, as the manufacturer, you'd be like, "Right, here's the things we want to put in place, the procedures and protocols we want to put in place that prevent this from happening." <laughs> like, right. it won't it won't give out things that could damage its its uh, software. Yeah, I mean, can you buy a nuclear weapon? Yeah. No, it, it, yeah. Could, could I go on Amazon and go, right, I want to buy, um, you know, enough to hack into Jeff Bezos' email account? Because <laughs> it's the everything store. You can buy everything. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the, the ending of this, again, it's so quick. It's so, you know, um, it's, yeah, it's just it's too quick, too neat. Uh, and, and it bothers me. It really does. Well, if uh, so, if somebody is suicidal on an M Corp ship, they can just go into debt to because they don't care about their own time, which I don't understand. But, you know, yeah. you they could spend their own time to buy a bomb that blows up the entire ship. Every mm. single every single personnel member can do that. Yeah, apparently okay. so. there's there's no permissions or anything granted. I mean, all right, I I work with deploying software, for, you know, in projects for companies, and you know, giving people security levels and security level of access and, and profile access is mm-hmm. sort of like big part. Even when you're doing stuff online, mm-hmm. you know, like what level of access are you going to be granted? Are you going to have your bronze level or your platinum level, sort of thing? It, this whole thing just feels again a bit like we had this idea. And we're going to sort of see it through, and but we're not really going to give it the sort of. It's almost like I don't, I don't know something about this episode, this series, because each each episode is sort of driven more by um, an idea rather than just sort of like sitcom comedy. Is that to me this sort of feels a bit more like it's trying to compete with something like Black Mirror uh-huh. than than another sitcom. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I hadn't thought about that, but you know, it does have kind of a, especially with a sort of white area that Lister's in. I mean, we've seen those before in Red Dwarf for uh, 
anytime the show wants to depict like a, a beautiful version of Red Dwarf or a utopian yeah. place, it's all very white and brightly lit. Um, but that area here is not a good place, even superficially, and does feel very Black Mirror. Mm. But even I think even the points, every episode in this, every episode in this series has been driven by a uh, a comment a commentary idea you know everything like a from cultural critique yeah everything you know, yeah. cured is about whether evil is has a place in society and what is to be evil siliconia is about sort of the class system and, and and what it is to be sort of to be really free and to be you know to be to be equal you've got time wave about criticism and the p you know the um hmm. pc culture then you get democracy and the corruption of, of the campaigning trend. And then you've got this about big corporations. Like when you go back, like where's the episodes, you know, like back to reality was one of the best episodes. No, really, Jen, it's just an idea that like, you know, yeah, you might, you know, you might be in a, a different reality and that has a, an impact on the crew. We've seemed to have left the crew dynamic and gone into this mm. thing of like, the, the, they're now looking at um, trying to make a comment on things. And it's sort of, it just, it's not working in this series. I think that's that's really insightful, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I agree. You know that that sort of crew dynamic is lost. You know, the sort of I don't know. I'm I'm I love plot. I'm a plot guy, but mm. you're right that you know. I mean, this is a show that you can forgive quick plot elements if the characters are working and if the comedy is working. Um, you know. The only thing I'd add to that is it's not really following through on those ideas, right? It, it, mm. It's a kind of gesturing towards those ideas. So just like the sort of like PC station is not really thought out, right? Um, here, this is not really thought out. I mean, we were told that MCorp bought Earth, right? So now apparently yeah. in continuity, Earth belongs to MCorp. Never going to be mentioned again, right? Yeah. Uh, but they own Earth, and they started taxing thinking. Okay, how mm. did that work? I know it's like it's there to, haha, you know, uh, make a joke about how, you know, you don't have time to criticize the corporate culture. You know, it's, you know, it's also there to kind of be ironic, just like in um, uh, Time Wave. Uh, Again, the you know just two episodes prior, where there's this irony of like once you implement that the idea that you can't criticize, you can't criticize that. So once you tax thinking, you cannot let people people won't be able to spend the money to think about how this is a bad idea. I get it. I mean, you know, but it doesn't make sense. I mean, I don't know how you right. do that. And and for me. For me, it's those kinds of like, I like the sci-fi stuff of Red Dwarf. I mean, I can go along with something that isn't even true to the characters. If I think that it's kind of fun and clever and, you know, might not be my favorite episode, but this just is not clever. And I cannot forgive the, I mean, for me, the jumping the shark moment is just, I, uh, well, since you're out of credits, I'm now going to charge you in time. Are you fucking kidding me? You know, mm. uh, I don't know. No, I agree. It, it just, 
there are ways of doing these ideas better, and I think it just feels tired. I mean, I'm looking back at some of you know my favourite episodes from the the series on my list, um, you know, and I, you know there are some really good ideas in these, but a lot of them are crew focused, mm-hmm. um, and, and when you get to this one. You know, I mean, even look back. You look back at the what you know, even to the last ep- last series, the, the episode we referred to the most is Crisis. You know, Crichton right. going through the midlife crisis, and there are moments in that episode that are incredibly silly, but it's really sort of got some. It's got some really good, you know, relatively sort of like you know, heartfelt moments that are, you know that are hilarious when he sort of like, you know when he's trying to sort of outdo Butler and all this other stuff. But it's 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 character driven. It's it's based in those. None of this has ever been character driven. I mean, the the one yeah. that comes closest is probably Siliconia, right? Um, but then in that, like you know, even, even in that, like it it gets pulled into sort of the wider story rather than focusing in on, you know, yes, you get the dilemma of say like you know, um, Rimmer the cat and Lister, but you know this. This, there could have been so much more to explore with Crichton. Um, you know, when you look back at some of the previous episodes, going all the way back to Last Day, um, you know, and th- this idea of Silicon Heaven, of having a sort of an expiry date, and all these other bits and pieces. Um, it, you know, that could have been a really, that could have been a classic. That could have been the Crichton episode. And you know, it's it, it seems like it wants to sort of answer these other questions, and I just think that's a real shame. And it comes through the rest as well. Yeah, I think I think that's dead on. Um, you know, and I think you're right. I mean, I, I I hate to admit it as a kind of plot guy, and you know, and and you know, I I guess Naylor was the you know is the more sci-fi focused of Grant and Naylor that. Um, mm. You know, and and I love that sci-fi stuff. I love how, especially those early episodes, work both as a great sci-fi episode and as funny. Um, you know, and 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 some of them are more silly than funny. But I mean, you know, you're right about you're right about character. Uh, you know, I think you're right about all of this. Um, what do you make about the 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 as a the resolution of sort of reinstalling Lister? using Chippy, which you've been introduced to at the beginning as this kind of like nano device that, um, you know, is going to repair Dave. Yeah. The, the fact, the fact that I'd pretty much forgotten about that is, is shows really what I thought about it. Again, it's sort of like, it's a bookend device that I don't think is needed. Like there are better, like I sort of said, there are better ways of doing this. Um, Again, I remember the the start episode, like you know, Chippy dies because he mistakenly sort of um, he judged his own, you know, um, death time rather than Lister's and all this other stuff. Again, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's not it's not it's not strong. And if anything, again, like in the last series, we had a bloody talking face medi computer uh-huh. um, that appears to have disappeared. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, yeah. I don't know. It, 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 it's a bit of a again, though. Th- this idea of talking to something that's inside Lister. Well, we've already done that in Series right. Seven, right? So, with the uh, virus. Yeah, and it was yeah. done better then. Right. Um, 
uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's touching things. It's, it's touching on things it's already done before, and it, it, it's just not hitting any high notes for me at the moment. Yeah, and it and it does sort of follow this up and down pattern of uh, you know nothing. I don't think Siliconia or Macocracy have been great. Neither of them have mm. been classic. They have been the two that I've liked, but mm. it is it is a bummer to have every other episode be, you know, one that I'm not enjoying. Yeah, but we, we you know we're coming to the last episode. We're coming to Skipper, the last episode in, in this series, and I mean the, the nub of this one really is the end. I mean this you know, mm-hmm. the the whole point of this episode is the last like four or five minutes of it. I don't know how long it is. But they basically have a device that allows them to skip through reality, um, and and Rimmer takes it then to visit other versions of reality to find one where he can fit in best, um, and eventually ends up coming back to uh, the normal uh, red dwarf that we know. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So again, Rimmer going through alternate dimensions, been there before. But um, what what are your thoughts on Skipper? Uh, I think this is slightly, not by a whole lot, but I think this is slightly the best episode of the season. Um, mm. I like it, you know, Siliconia, I think I like more than Mechocracy. I think I like this a little more than Siliconia. None of them are great. Um, I do like, you know, in the setup, the idea that they, you know, there's this kind of, you know, the multiple worlds hypothesis of, you know, Every choice creates another parallel universe. I mean, this is a silly idea, but, uh, you know, essentially Crichton has been testing this device, which seems a little out of character for him. Um, And, uh, you know, this device has somehow malfunctioned. And so now you you are going to the universe or you continue in the universe in which uh, that continues from the choice you didn't make. Um, mm. now there is a, there is, you know, so that's kind of fun. I mean, I do like, uh, cat's inability to, you know, control himself. I don't think that it really works because, you know, um, you know, I, I mind, uh, I always keep thinking like, do they really decide to do what they don't want to do? Like, we're not going to go into this room. Okay. Well, how does this work? Right. I mean, you know, do you just announce that you're not going to do it? Or have you really made a decision to not doing it? If you know that that decision will result in the opposite effect, have yeah, you really made not... that decision? The thing that really annoyed me with this, about this this whole section of the, the you end up doing the, the outcome of the decision you don't make or whatever, mm-hmm. if that's right, <laughs> is yeah. it also becomes a time jump. It's not just that you do it. Like you oh. jump to the result. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, so Lister sort of plays it off on Cat. He's like, you know, go make my breakfast. I'm not going to make your breakfast. The next thing you see, he's sort of frying up his breakfast and stuff. And then he's like, you know, then they do it later. Like, you know, polish my shoes. I'm not going to polish your shoes, monkey. And then all of a sudden he's polishing his shoes. And it's like, uh-huh. oh, no, it's, <laughs> it's it's not just that you have to act. Because the then, then sort of like, you know, they make the breakfast or whatever. And Lister's like, oh, I'm not going to eat this. And then has to starts forcing it in his face. I'm like, well, how come this one hasn't jumped forward to you uh-huh. sitting there with an empty plate feeling incredibly sick? You know, yeah. it's, 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 so is it a, is it a time jump? 
as well? Or is it that you have to act these things out? I don't know what I don't know what it is you're supposed to. What is the result? You know, because again, like, they jump up and down the bloody ship as well, don't they? Sort of like we're not mm-hmm. going to take the stairs. Oh, we're going to jump to the. It's, and it throws them around in time and space a little bit. And it, it, again, it's just inconsistent. No, you're completely right. And you know, I I would have been more charmed by. I mean, I guess the problem is once you've decided to not do something, but you really want to do the opposite. You know, there's this weird thing that's happening with volition, right? That mm-hmm. if you if you are now going to do the opposite of what you want to do, you don't control your body, right? You're not mm. able to make that choice. And and that could be funny, like you pointed out with eating what you don't want to eat. Um, you know, the, the irony here is that these actors are perfectly capable of like stomping through Red Dwarf saying to each other, like, I don't want to go down the stairs, you know? Um, And that would have been great fun to see, but it's as if that, you know, hasn't been thought of. Yeah, I agree. Because, again, you know, they've done, um, you know, stuff to this, similar to this before, even just the, you know, even as silly as, like, the boots in Justice that sort of make them stomp around. But Mm -hmm. um, it's this thing, isn't it, of saying, right, don't think about elephants. Yeah. Whatever you do, you cannot think about elephants. You know, if you were to think about elephants right now, you know, then then everything you know is going to be gone. Well, that's it. Then you can't help but think about elephants. Like it's it's that same thing. Saying, "All right, I'm choosing to get up and open that door." Well, just choosing to do it, surely you've then got to try and follow it up with a physical action because that shows that you're engaged with that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like you say, yeah. So it just, it just feels. It's a story device to, to, to facilitate a couple of jokes, and unfortunately, again, the jokes aren't aren't landing. There's a couple of moments, like you said, the, the bit where the cat can't control himself, and he keep every time they go for this, every time they go for, they say they're not going to take the lift, and he keeps going to press the button. Mm-hmm. It's just reflex, and I like that idea that it's just reflex. Is that I didn't think, I just, I just did it. It's just you know, it's just we always do that. Um, well, also that it's cat, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, like, it just, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I will say I do like how they immediately began manipulating each other. You know, yeah. um, you know, it's like, oh, you know, Lister's like, I can make Cat shine my boots. I can make Cat cook for me, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, just by manipulating the other person into declaring that they're not going to do something forces them to do it. Um, mm. I do like there's a kind of uh, misanthropic aspect of that that feels dead on for Red Dwarf. Um, but I do agree, like essentially this whole first half of the episode with this conceit of um, following down the choice you didn't make um, is a good idea that up into up until the end of that resolution of that half is sort of like another good idea in this series that could have been great, but that wasn't really thought through. Um, yeah. And, and one reason why I, another reason why I think it's not thought through and that I, that can does continue into the second half is I, I wonder like, so if you make a decision and then the idea is that, um, you know the 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 theory, right? I mean, I have I have problems with this, but the theory is that 
every decision somebody makes splinters off the timeline into into two different universes. Um, but there's somebody in both universe, right? I mean, there's a copy mm. of you in both of those timelines. One made decision A, one made decision B. So they seem to be, it, it seems as if the episode does not know that. Yeah. And it, it's like they are being transported into the universe where they made the opposite decision. Well, what happened to the you in that universe? Did they then transport into the other universe? No, it becomes pretty clear in the back half of this episode. Those are just universes in which, like, I guess you've replaced that other person. I, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I almost took it almost like as a, at one point, I was sort of thinking, is it almost like a quantum leap kind of scenario? You know, like a mm-hmm. Sam Beckett kind of way. Like, yeah, our Rimmer, our Rimmer's consciousness is leaping from um, version to version. <laughs> but then, but then the other thing is, but then he's, he's, he is physically taking the skipper with him. Um, so I mean, I'm sort of fine with that. But yeah, like I say, it doesn't, it doesn't quite follow. Um, Again, it's just, it's just you know it's, it's playful. There's some bits of these are funny, um, but the, the the whole sort of skipping from dimension to dimension, um, you know, there's there's a um, there's there's a um, a book called The Long Earth uh, that was written by Terry Pratchett and uh, Stephen Baxter, and it follows this it follows this idea of um we are sort of what they call the central earth and going off from that there's all these multiple worlds all right but we are the only one that's populated we're the only one that's got this this central earth is the only one that's got life on it and then beyond that there's all these different versions of earth and they've all got life on them in, in some capacity now spoilers for the story but at, at one point you can jump from one earth to the next and there's a voyage going from all across all these earths and they're going like tens of thousands of worlds but then at one point they sort of there's some there's a strangeness going on and they actually come across a gap where earth just doesn't exist mm-hmm. like in that reality earth doesn't exist and so they get trapped in a sort of like the uh, the you know the the coldness of space and have to leap backwards and then they sort of figure out how to do it and like, but the, in in this I was wondering like what happens could he leap into a universe where he doesn't exist? Right. You know, what well, would happen then? And so... Well, it depends on what's going on, right? Like, you're kind of supposing this quantum leap thing. I mean, and that yeah. makes sense. Um, there was a the recent episode of Rick and Morty where uh, Rick uh, gives a um, device to Morty that allows Morty to skip backwards to a preset point and you know again spoilers at the end of the episode you find out that yeah this has not actually been making morty go back in time but in fact he's going into another quantum universe and the device is murdering the morty of that universe and he's replacing Uh it and i kept Mm. thinking what's happening to the rimmer of these universes is is is, Mm. is that rimmer somehow dying or being displaced I don't know because I say because he takes on a different physical form in these different universes. Like you know, in ones mm-hmm. he comes across these. Some he is a hologram, in some he is alive. In one, he's an True. artificial intelligence. Um, yeah. So yeah, does right. he re- does does he replace them? Does he? I don't know. So no, that's right. Um, I mean, that's that's completely correct. He has to be kind of possessing them somehow. Uh, 
which is but then he but then if that's true why is his why is his unconscious body not left in the original universe yeah that that was what was what was bothering me like he leaves this he leaves our reality or the the dwarf reality and then like I say, and, and comes back at the end with a physical appearance uh-huh so yeah it, again it could, you know i you said about Doug Naylor likes these sci-fi ideas. And again, it's almost like, you know, but he wants to go out and then do these things, but it would be even more fascinating if that was literally what it was when Crichton was like, do you know what? Actually, we could just install your, your from, from your hollow drive. We can install mm. your consciousness onto this skipper and you can skip through all these, you know, you can quantum skip through all these realities as much as you want. And then it goes wrong and he comes back. That way, again, would just solve it. Because he's like, it's just your consciousness that's going to skip through these realities. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you, I don't think you're supposed to sort of think about it as deeply as we do. But <laughs> um, Yeah. Well, but, I mean, I, I love your uh, hypothetical solutions to these plot problems. I think they're <laughs> always very simple and, and very smart. Um, you know, I would add that that some of the best episodes are, you know, are episodes where the implications of a technology are explored. And to Mm. me, that is the sci-fi stuff that I like where, you know, you have a technology and you say, okay, well, well, what are the implications of this? Uh, How would this really work? Right. What would this mean? Does this mean that, you know, um, he's possessing these other rimmers, you know, that we're, we're somehow able to, replace that i mean by the way that would also solve another problem which is why does rimmer go why does the rest of the crew is just like hey you're leaving um here take this awesome device that allows yeah. us to yeah. skip realities no problem arnold who we all hate let's just give you this device there's no farewell i mean it's very abbreviated of like oh i guess i'll never see you guys again bye it's very quick um but why do they give him that? Well, in your th- construction, then Rimmer's the only one who they can do it with because he's a hologram. Um, mm. But just like the sort of like earlier uh, doing what they decide not to do, what I like about, you know, I think the best episodes, I won't say it's what I like about Red Dwarf, but the best episodes are episodes that take an idea like that and then follow through on the implications and those implications might be you're going backwards. How do you poop? Right. You can have fun with those implications, but it's not like the central conceit is just forgotten. Forget it. Let's watch this, the silly antics. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I've just checked IMDb. This is the highest rated episode in the, in the, in the, um, the series by, Mm -hmm. by quite some distance. Um, and I think it's again, it's fine. It makes me chuckle. There are moments in this series, this episode that I do quite like, and I like some of this stuff at the end when he does skip through these other realities. You know, um, I enjoy watching Chris Barry. Let's you know, this is basically that. I think he's good in this, um, but it, but and, and it is good when he finally does get to a reality where he finds out that he is in, not only is he alive. He's a navigation. He's a navigation officer, and he seems to have respect. Like people, he's achieved everything he wants. He's like, yes, this is it. Um, and I like the fact that the only downfall to this entire thing, like he could just sort of, you know, before he reveal it, he could 
just turn the other cheek and be like, do you know what? I'm going to let that one go. Um, and I'm going to live my life because <laughs> I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. It's, I'm doing well. But he finds out that Lister has become the captain of Red Dwarf. <laughs> right. Um, and, and you sort <laughs> of find out that basically, but he's still basically a bit of a bum. Like he seems to have sort of like failed upwards in some respects. Um, uh, but yeah, it, you know, he, he can't let that go. And I find that whole scene actually quite, that that's funny, you know? Oh yeah. Um, but it's also, it's also the character driven stuff that you were talking about. I mean, and, mm. and maybe this is why this is part of why I like this episode best that, I mean, yeah, the, I, I, the idea is that Lister found the faulty drive plate that crewed the, killed the crew, right? Um, yeah. And then Lister opted for shares of the Jupiter Mining Corp and then got rich off those shares. Uh, you know, so Rimmer is married. I mean, he's alive. He's got everything he wanted. But, you know, that resentment, he just cannot live in a universe in which he'll throw it all away rather than live in a universe in which Lister is more successful than him. No, you know, that does seem, you know, maybe a little over the top, but so dead on for for Rimmer. Um, it seems right. Oh yeah, no, I agree. And you know, I even like the fact again. It, it goes back to that nostalgia, that sort of, um, you know, the fan service um, of it all. But you know, the 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 the, um, the bunk areas change quite dramatically at this point. And the fact of the matter is, they're on a, they're on a ship that's sort of three miles wide, six miles long. That you know, they can. There's, I'm sure, there's thousands of bunk spaces on there, so they could be sleeping anywhere. And I like the fact that they do in this episode go back to at this point, so that you know, in that other reality, they go back to that original it looks very like it, the original set oh, yeah. from the first couples of series. <clears throat> and I like that they do that. That they're sort of like, you know, it's like it's been been so many years since we were here and they're sort of talking about it. For, there's a glimmer of a moment where you're thinking, maybe Rimmer is gonna you know, could he accept this? Could this be if you weren't watching this, this could be a cliffhanger ending where you're like, oh, ah. Lister is going to, sorry, Rimmer is going to make that choice and stay in that universe and something's going to happen maybe, you know, maybe, or maybe another another cliffhanger they don't resolve. But um, it's that thing of him sort of going sort of like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't live in this universe where you have done better than me. <laughs> it's, it, it's, you know, it, it's bittersweet in that way, really, because it's funny, because it, it's funny to watch, and you obviously you know it's going to go back to the dwarf crew, but it's also a bitter because you do you are sort of saying to the rimmer like just shut the fuck up, <laughs> just just live with it, please, like you know you've got this one opportunity, um, yeah, it's um, you know I I do kind of like this this last moment of this of this show. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it, it feels right to me. Um... I I I do think that some opportunities are missed with these, you know, I like that Rimmer skips through a whole bunch of realities. Um, but, you know, and some of them are, you know, just silly, right? You know, like uh, mm. there's Mr. Rat, not, not, not Mr. Cat. You know, it's like mm. everything's fine, but I'm not going to live with this anthropomorphic rat, you know. Um, you know, so some are silly, you know, uh, that reminds me a little bit of like Tom Strong or something in comics. Um, but what I think is actually the best part of the episode isn't that final skip where he can't stand it, but actually the first skip, um, in which Brimmer is on Red Dwarf and you see Holly again, you know, mm. I mean, which we're about to see again, but I mean, Holly's back and it's like, 
yeah, talk about fan service. Um, you know, the crew is in, alive, you know, and there's a nice reversal of the first episode as, as you know, you go through uh, uh, rumor asking if people are alive, if people are dead. And Holly keeps yes. repeating, nobody's dead. Nobody's yeah. dead, Arnold. They're all, they're, uh, they're all alive, Arnold. Arnold, <laughs> they're all alive, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, and I think that's very clever, you know, and then it ends with Holly announces there's a radiation leak, you know, yeah. and the, the captain is in an escape pod, uh, you know, and says, <laughs> oh, no, I'm stuck in here. And so, like, you know, the horror of Arnold reliving the demise of Red Dwarf mm. when when it, it's just quite wonderful. And it's wonderful seeing the captain again. It's wonderful seeing Holly again. It's wonderful revisiting this moment. And obviously that and the, and the concluding um, timeline are the highlights but uh you know for me uh the first skip to go back to oh all right i'm on red dwarf holly's back you know everyone's alive this this sort of postmodern play on the first episode i i just thought that was the best part of the episode for me mm-hmm. so much fun no, it, it is it is good fun and i like the fact they're willing to do that they, they have that sort of like those callbacks and um uh, and do that again, like sort of missed opportunities. I mean, you know, if he's if he is skipping through dimensions or alternate realities, like you know, it would have been interesting to have done one. He could have jumped into um, Ace Rimmer's original dimension. You know, maybe sort of jumping into an office where there's a um, Robert Llewellyn. You know, for this for the sort of whatever I forget what it's called now, Bongo. Um, <laughs> You know, or something like, you know, talking to a cat as a priest or those sorts of things. Like, you know, they, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it is good fun. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I do like some of the, I, I actually kind of like the one where, you know, they do play off and he, he is the you know, the holly of the ship. Um, oh, yeah. yeah and, uh, yeah. you know, he's, 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 Crichton comes and <laughs> cleans his screen and wanders off. Um, so, yeah, there's some, you know, there's some nice little moments in that. that um, that play off quite well. Yeah, I mean, you're right that it would have been better to, um, you know, again, we have this problem of like the the earlier part of the episode needs to be shortened. There's mm. a good idea here. I think it's working much more here than in other episodes, but you're right that there's a kind of missed opportunity. Wouldn't it be fun to sort of skip into, you know, Ace Rimmer and sort of other realities that we've seen? I mean, you could bring back Dwayne Dibley. You can do whatever you want because it's just another parallel universe you're going to see for a minute. Well, the um, the the actress who played the female Lister uh, in in Dimension Jump way back uh, mm-hmm. in the first couple of series, like she's still a working actress. Like she still appears in things. So so you know, they I I loved that would have been a fun if they could have got that that those actors together. Mm-hmm. Um, or even her, just for one, that would have been an interesting. Uh, you know, that's the sort of thing that that would have been brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's just so much more that could be done here. Um, mm. it, you know, and and yeah, there is a little bit of disappointment that I feel as we jump into rea- Like, there's one skip where uh, the crew are monks. Okay, well, mm. you know, like you know, I get it. You know, like Mister Mister Rat. You know, like. It's fine, but there does seem to be a sort of like, you know, this is imaginative, but not as imaginative as I want it to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a, like you say, there's the ones where you just bring down a corridor and do some bits. I think, yeah, it's, 
it's again, th- this could have been a lot more fun if they'd have given it just, I don't know, a couple more minutes um, uh, to, to do some stuff. Um, but it's fine. It's good. It's got, you know, it's got some chuckles in there, but um, mm-hmm. n- none of it's, none of it sort of, what I would say is, and maybe it's, an, you know, even so, with series 11, there are moments in that, that series that stick with me. Yes. Um, you know, where I'm like, oh yeah, you know, so everything from, um, you know, in, in, after I think about in, in the first episode, uh, Twentica, where they go to the bar, and you, you know they sort of they, they they end up having to they, I forget, the joke about the two sort of uh, droids when they're sort of like three of forty six and that sort of stuff. that. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I can think that that makes me chuckle. The sort of um, you know the evil mechanoid, uh, medical mechanoid of, of um, you know that steals the kidneys and all that sort of stuff of um, and give and take and then. Yeah, and in crisis, as you know, with Rimmer, uh, Rimmer Crichton in his sort of Ferrari red bodywork, and, <laughs> and and then them having a conversation with the universe and yes. giving the universe a midlife oh. crisis, like, like I'm thinking back and going, like, that was brilliant. Like, there's some stuff in series eleven that's really good. I mean, granted, like you know, can of worms. The last episode isn't great, but even in that, there's some it's good not, moments. Yeah, it's not terrible. I mean, that would yeah. have been one of the like okay episodes in the season this season. Yeah, but but season twelve just it never hits. It, no, it, in my opinion, it never hits that same high, that same level as I'm get I had with with series eleven. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, you know, how would you compare? I think I, I was thinking of. Um, you know, if, if series 11 is our high from the sort of revived series, how do you compare 12 with 10? Hmm. Because, um. I, I mean, I was thinking, like, I mean, 10 has the Jesus episode. I mean, it starts mm. with, you know, Howard Rimmer. You know, it's got Fathers and Sons, which kind of, you know, is the yeah. clever... Uh, you know, I think that's a strong one. You know, it's got Entangled, which is not so great. Dear Dave, no. which is, like, not so great. And then it ends with The Beginning, which kind of turns Rimmer <laughs> into a working-class hero, which, yeah. you know, you don't, you object I, to. Yeah. <laughs> but, again, I sort of, like, I liked the, the episodes, again, sort of, like, Lemons is, is you know, I remember it was, was, was good fun. There's some good stuff in Trojan, you know. I'm not sure if, you know, this whole thing of the reveal of, of, of Howard, um, you know, never sits completely right. But again, like, even some of the interactions of of Dave doing the of Lister doing the videos to himself and father and sons, yeah, there are bits in series ten that I'm like, yeah, do you know what? There's some really funny bits in that that really worked that I can't say I find in series twelve. I agree completely. I mean, I think I think you know ten ten's better than twelve, and you know it's sad because that's the last full season we've had so far. Uh, yeah, I would say that ten, ten is on par. And I'm looking at sort of like you know, we we hit some sort of like rough spots in sort of like six and seven, seven in particular to me yeah. has got some really rough episodes. This is I would say seven and twelve are where I'm, I really struggle. But then even with seven, you get Stoke Me a Clipper. Um, yeah, yeah, which is just fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you, you know you, you 
you know, like you said, ticker to ride with with the JFK has got some interesting thoughts and some some. You know, even that explores the consequences of sort of removing uh, Crichton's guilt chip and that sort of thing. The, the, Twelve just hasn't got anything of it. I think I honestly think I'm looking back. I, well, I might have to say that Seven also made, has the the Rimmer dance. Yeah, from Blue, which is yeah. yeah. So you know, you do get some really good moments. I, I think Twelve may be the weakest series to date. Yeah, I, I think you might be right in that. I, I agree that's right. I mean, and that's sad because that's 12, right? I mean, and, and I don't mm. want to be one of those people who's like, oh, it just gets bad. It just gets worse as it goes on because we don't agree with that. I mean, I think 8 is a really strong series. I think 8 mm. is better than, you know. Um, 7. <laughs> yeah, 8 is better than 7. I think, you know, 8 is probably uh, eight is probably better than 6. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think eight's better than six. I think eight might even be better than than five overall. Um, you know, even Ooh. with you know back to reality. You know, I mean, we could argue that, but you know. Um, but like I said, but it hasn't gone here because I again I think eleven is is a strong series. It has some moments that do that does stand up against some of those classic, um, mm-hmm. those yeah. classic series. Absolutely, um, it's, it's just twelve feels. Tired. Twelve feels tired. Yes. Yeah. It, um, it hasn't got that polish. I mean, I think the the weaker stuff in ten, we thought was kind of like a inferior version of previous episodes that sort of didn't that could have used another uh, script polish, right? And I feel mm-hmm. like like twelve is kind of all that. Yeah. Yes. I would say that's a really yeah. I, you know, I, I've gone back and watched, you know, for for this at least we've watched all of them. But I will go back and I will watch pretty much all the series. I doubt I will ever go back and watch twelve in any sort of favorable way. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, and I, you know, I I like Skipper maybe more than you, but I mean, I mm. I don't think it 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 certainly doesn't. I, I'd rather keep, if I have to choose, you know, three episodes from 10, 11, and 12, I'm choosing one from 10 and two from 11. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Our series 12 review. We're so close to the end. The end is in sight. It's just that last bit to go. In the next episode, we will be talking about The Promised Land, the feature-length special that was released in 2020. One of the only good things to come out of 2020. So, if you want to get in contact with us, tell us what you think about what we've said so far. Have you enjoyed these reviews? Do you enjoy Red Dwarf? Let us know. Find us on Twitter at PodTimeSpace. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, have a great week. And I shall see you next time. Bye.